Top of the day, everyone. It's Hot Garbage, True Crime Edition. I'm your host, Nisha B, and this is my beautiful best friend and co-host. Who the badass. And today, we want to give a special shout-out to Robin. She's one of our longtime listeners as well. Yeah, so today, we're doing a case that she wanted to do as well. And so, thank you so much, Robin, because believe it or not, I had never heard of this case before. Can you believe that? It's a case I I had never heard of. I mean, as much as you are a murder junkie. It's hard to know, hear that you did not hear about a case. That's just a, right, and it's crazy. I must have been under a rock somewhere because this case has actually had documentaries on it. It has a Netflix documentary. How so, does it feel to be me? Yeah, I'm like literally in Buddha's shoes right now because I had no idea about this case. And as I'm researching it, I'm so glad that you know, Robin, that you gave us this case because this case is juicy. I'm like, you know, I think. Out of all the cases we've done, this might be the most juicy one. Oh my gosh, you ready to eat it like a hamburger, huh? Yeah, this case is really good and juicy. Man, now, get your tater tots ready and some hot sauce there yeah. over here. Now, I will say that this is one of the cases that kind of divided everybody, too. Um, it divided the country because there's half people that think he did it, and then there's other halves that think he didn't do it. So it's kind of like a Rodney Reed situation mm. where we don't, where a lot of people don't really think he did it. But I mean, I'm going to t- say my opinion towards like the end because this is going to be a two parter. Okay. So and I'm going to be playing another 911 call. So it's it for me with the Rodney Reed case. I was kind of like, remember I told you I'm like half and half. I don't know if he did it. This one I'm more veering towards one way. And can you make sure that you don't voice your opinion during the doggone telling of the story we don't want your opinion we want you to tell the story like a news reporter they want my <laughs> opinion during the story and then we talk about it at the end okay so like what you want me to save what i think happened for part two? I, 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 all of your emotions all of what you feel about it don't be like oh and this is where i think he did it or this is where i think he really messed up i don't care about what you feel it messed up because <laughs> that's not your place to sit here and be and and, and uh Partition my mind to thinking about him being messed up. Well, I need to have a non-biased opinion. Okay, but I do need to do stupidest part of the crime because my thing is, if I don't do stupidest part of the crime at some places, I'm going to forget towards the end. Okay, I, fine. I do to. your stupidest part of the crime with your... <laughs> I, I don't understand that concept part itself. Uh, <laughs> okay, so here we go. This case is Michael Peterson, the staircase killer. That's what he's called. That's awesome already. Yeah. Michael Ivor Peterson was born October 23rd, 1943 in Nashville, Tennessee. He's the son of Eugene Ivor Peterson and Eleanor Peterson. He graduated from Duke University with a bachelor's degree in political science. Now, while he was there, Peterson was president of Sigma Nu Fraternity, and he was the editor of The Chronicle, which is a daily student newspaper. And he was the editor there from 1964 to 1965. He attended classes at the Law School of the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill as well. And then he joined the Air Force. Dude. Yeah, he was doing big things. Yeah, he was. So after graduating, he then took a civilian job with the United States Department of Defense. And there he was He was assigned to research arguments and supporting increased military involvement in Vietnam as well. You could have just said he just took, he just took another job, a civilian job. What are you, military now? <laughs> he took a civilian job. You got a civilian job. <laughs> Try to water it down like it's something more, less important. Now, the year that he took the civilian job, <laughs> he met his first, his first wife. Her, his first wife was named Patricia Sue. And she actually taught at an elementary school at the air base. So, that's a name that's an elementary school teacher. 
Yeah, right, Patricia, Patricia huh? Like Patricia, Patricia Sue. It is. Now, at this time, she was a teacher, and it was in Germany as well. So, they had two... In Germany? In Germany. Yeah, he ended up going to Germany, and this is where he met her at. So, oh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, during their marriage, they had two children, named, and they were two boys named Clayton and Todd. In 1968, Michael Peterson was commissioned in the United States Marine Corps, and he served in the Vietnam War as well. In 1971, he received an honorable discharge with the rank of captain because he got into a car accident, and unfortunately, his friend died. With his, his friend died, and Michael Peterson was left with a permanent limp, so mm. he had a permanent disability. So he was honorably discharged because of that. Now, years later, during 1999, you said uh, it's a motorcycle accident. No, it was a car accident. Okay. Uh huh. Now, years later, in 1999, Michael Peterson actually. He ran for mayor of Durham, and he, but he got caught up in a lie because he claimed that he had been awarded a silver star, a bronze star, and two purple hearts. And he had, he said he had all the medals, but he didn't have the documentation for them. So he claimed that the reason that he got his purple stars was because he was hit by shrapnel when a when another soldier stepped on a landmine, and then he said he received another one because he was shot in battle. But he later had to admit that the injuries that he received and the scars he received was from the car accident. And it wasn't from any of this stuff at all. I mean, he could have been like an advocate for drunk driving or something, you know? Like, yeah. And use that angle. He didn't mm-hmm. have to make that up like he was Forrest Gump. Yeah. Lie and say he had to. Because that's a big thing. And you're lying and say you had a purple heart. and that's Right. Yeah. And then you're asking the military to back up your lie. They're not going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> not at all. Now... Now, Michael Peterson and his first wife, Patricia, they ended up, you know, living in Germany for a long time because they really liked it there. Now, there they be- they became best friends with their neighbors named Elizabeth and George Ratliff. It was another couple. Elizabeth and George Ratliff had two kids, and they were girls, Margaret and Martha. George passed away, and so, you know... Is, the, is he the parent of the killer, or is he the, the madman? Who? Oh, Michael Peter. Peterson, you're going to find out. You told me not to, like, spoil anything. Oh, yeah, don't do it then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so basically, so basically, like I was saying, so they're friends, so George, so it's George and Elizabeth Ratliff. Now, George passed away. Now, before then, they became all best friends and stuff, but George passed away, and at that point, Patricia and Michael, they really, you know, became really closer with Elizabeth. Now, Elizabeth Ratliff ended up dying in 1985, so at that time, Michael and Patricia became the guardians of their two little girls. So now they have four kids. They have their own two boys, and then they took on their neighbor's two kids as well. Okay. Now, Michael and Patricia ends up divorcing in 1987 because they, you know, it was too much. They had four kids. They was kind of stressed. And, you know, Patricia was the main one that wanted to take the other two kids in. And Michael was the one that was a little apprehensive of it. So all that caused their marriage to dissolve. Now, Mm. when their marriage dissolved, though, Clayton and Todd, the boys, ended up living with Patricia in Germany. And Margaret and Martha stayed with Michael, who moved to Durham, North Carolina. But Clayton and Todd later ended up joining their dad. So now all four of them is back together in North Carolina. Patricia decided to stay in Germany after they divorced. Okay. In 1989, 
Michael ends up meeting and moving in with Kathleen Atwater. So she was a successful Nortel business executive. So I'm going to talk a little bit about her because she's the second wife. So Kath- Nortel business. That sounds like a true 80s uh, company, right? That there. Right. I'm like, man, can we even Google Nortel anymore? <laughs> no, that, that, I think they I think they were the company that was on RoboCop. That, that was the company that he actually was made by and he couldn't go kill the CEO. <laughs> He's like, damn you, Nortel, trying to trying to stop him for the law. You're under arrest, dead or alive. Uh, he couldn't he couldn't take down old Nortel. <laughs> now, Kath, <laughs> now Kathleen was born February twenty first, nineteen fifty three, and she was on the tennis team, the debate team, and she was editor of the school newspaper as well. And she loved having a big family. So when she met Michael and he had the four children, she really liked that as well. Now, Kathleen had been married, too, before him. She attended Duke University. She was the first woman in engineering in her field. And that's where she met her first husband named Frank Atwater. She got her master's degree. And then her and Frank had a daughter named Caitlin. And then her and Frank actually got a divorce in 1987. And so... It's actually sexy for a woman to be married by a certain point in time. If you mm-hmm. meet somebody and you're like in your mid to late 30s, mm-hmm. early 40s, mm-hmm. maybe even 50s, you don't really want to hear somebody that's never been in a long-term relationship like that. Yeah, that's like a red flag. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So like if you meet them and they be like, oh, I'm divorced, you're like, hell yeah, you are. Yeah. Well, you know, and it, well, it was like crazy because there's a lot of people that's like so good on paper and stuff like that. And they're like, I've never been married or I've never had a long-term relationship. So it's like then people kind of look at that like, well, what happened? But yeah. then I can look at that the other way, like, well, maybe this person was a career person. They wasn't focusing on that. And now they're focusing on it. So you can look at it that way, too. You know? I mean, they'd have to show that their, their focus is definitively yeah. on a relationship. Because I would have questions, at least for, like, the first couple few months. Yeah. on And just doubts, just waiting to see, like, what is it that the character trait that you normally have that stops it from going long term oh, and yeah. being all the way to this age. I mean, there's even people by that by that time that try and trap you in a relationship. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> you ain't even had that happen. Like how how the hell did you yeah. dodge all of relationship interaction? Right. Like yeah, I'm not yeah, I'm not sure. That's a good question, you know? Mm-hmm. And because you do have those people that's just really focused now. And it's starting to happen now more than it did back then to where people are just super focused on career and money. Then they get in their thirties or forties and like, oh I want to settle down now you know so that's hard too right i mean that's in, i would say in california but that's not like nationwide yeah you know like people don't have that strain like that that's why it, to me like i said it always puts it, it always makes me pause like, yeah hmm. and you're always kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop like well, right what, like what's if, going on what if you were if, even if you was married twice i'll be like i'll take that mm-hmm. i'll take that versus somebody that says i've never i'm 40 years old and never been proposed to like whoa I never even proposed to Jesus. Oh my gosh! I, that now that that puts tears in my eyes for that person that's never even been proposed to. You see what I'm saying? That puts tears in my. That eyes. makes me go like that makes me get my Star Trek hat hat, hat on. I just you know red alert. I'm, well, I'll, oh. I'll say yellow alert. Now I'm yellow. watching. Mm-hmm. Did you say yellow alert? Yellow <laughs> alert. Those who watch the Trek, they know what I'm talking about. <laughs> now. So, like I said, so Kathleen and Michael ended up getting married, and she was the breadwinner because Michael became a writer. He was a writer. So his, you know, his uh, checks would kind of, like, fluctuate up and down. He would make really good money when he had a book deal and stuff like that, but she was the breadwinner. She made over 250000 a year. 
Mm. Yeah, so she was the main breadwinner. Making RoboCops. Yeah, she wasn't playing around. She wasn't doing nothing. She was, man. Now, Michael Peterson. I mean, in the 80s, too. Yeah, $250,000 in the 80s. A woman making that in the 80s? Yeah, how much is that? She was Beyonce. That's why I said, how much would that be in today's money? Like, today's money? money, You talk about half a milli to a milli. Oh, my God. Like, of what that is equivalent to. Oh, yeah. She wasn't playing around. She wasn't playing. A year she making that by herself. Yeah. Yeah. she was bossing. Doing the damn thing. Man, and not been in nobody music video, nothing. She's just wearing a boring ass <laughs> uh, blazer with the shoulder pads, tough. Yeah. She had her shoulder pads kicking yeah. with a bow tie. I, I visualized this woman already. She had that black bow tie yeah. on. And I always used to keep her hair with the Hollywood hump. With that oh, puff in the I front. know what you're talking about. Yep. Yeah. And come out like Roger Rabbit and go, like Roger Rabbit's ex wife. They come out and then go back all of a sudden, like that moose was just oh, working. Oh, yeah. Had that, that had that hairdo. That was like the, the strong woman look. Yeah. Yeah. That had that strong woman look. Yeah. And she was a single it. mother, too. Like after she got the divorce, she was raising her daughter, Caitlin. Did it by herself. Yeah. Making equivalent to half a million a year by herself right. with a kid. Oh my, that's amazing. Yeah, she was a catch. Oh, man, he called him a senator damn near. That's yeah. what he just did. Now, so now they have five what kids. What date nap was she on? Like, I don't what? know. There was even date naps. How did you like, meet women like that back in the days? You just go out and start eating in, the, in people's parking lots of the rich <laughs> and fancy? Like, shit. <laughs> now, now, they have five kids all together in the house because there's his two boys, there's the two girls that they took on, and then Caitlin has a daughter too. Now there's five. Mm-hmm. Now, Michael Peterson, in his um, his author days, he wrote three novels, and this was all based around his experiences during Vietnamese, during the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. Um, his books was called The Immortal Dragon, A Time of War, and A Bitter Peace. And then he co-wrote a, um, a book as well called Charlie Two Shoes and the Marines of Love. Now, there's also... Charlie Two Shoes. Mm-hmm. And he also, after all this stuff, um, and I forgot to get the name. I'll have it in part two for you guys. But he also wrote a book about this murder as well. That, And I'll put the link in the show notes if anybody wants to go read it. I have it. I, I've kind of like skimmed through it a little bit. Like, I, you know what I mean? Because I got a lot of information. But I want to sit down and like read the whole thing. Okay. So, Michael Peterson also worked as a newspaper columnist for the Herald Sun. And his columns, though, really got a lot of criticism because he would always like kind of talk about the police of Durham County, which where he lived. And he, you know, talked a lot about the corruption that was taking place. He also, like I said, he ran for mayor and because he said he wanted to change a lot of the stuff that was going on in the city. So this was, you know, a lot of this is kind of leading up to everything that was, you know, about to happen. Mm. Now, Oh, and one of the people that he, you know, talked about in his book was, it happened to be the the, the DA as well. He was like, the DA, everything, because that's a small town. And so he was like, everything is just like really corrupt. So it was a lot of pieces that he put in there that people looked down on. Mm. Now, on December 8th, 2001, Michael received a phone call that they wanted to make a movie out of one of his books. So this was something that, you know, him and Kathleen was celebrating and they was looking forward to it. And, you know, it was really a turning point in his career. So 
Todd, which was his oldest son, was going to a Christmas party with one of his friends that night. So he had left the house. I don't know where the other kids was, but they weren't at home either. So Kathleen and Michael decided to celebrate and they decided to watch this movie called American Sweetheart. Have you ever heard of that movie before? Yep. And so they went to Blockbuster. They rented the movie. They was drinking some wine. You know, they sat by the pool. They was smoking. And he, Michael loved to smoke pipes. That was the thing. So he smoked pipes a lot. So they were smoking. They was just having a really he good time. Mr. Rogers. Yeah. And then he smoked everywhere he went. Like he always had a pipe. That was one thing. Now, Kathleen ended up, and this happened early December 9th. So December 9th, 2001. Kathleen ended up getting a call that night from a coworker saying that she was going to send her an email because there was a conference call in the morning that she had to be on. So he is ripe in age. Who? Old old Michaels. He's 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 like in his fifties, sixties, ain't he? Mm, so nineteen forty three. This is two thousand one. Yeah, about in his fifties during this time. Yeah. yeah. So Kathleen told uh, the coworker on the phone that she didn't have her, her computer on her right now because she was at the pool with her husband. So she told the coworker to send the email to Michael's email address instead. So Kathleen got tired and she was about to make her way inside because she had this super important call, you know, in the morning. So she was like, she's going to turn in for the night. Michael decided to stay outside for a little while by the pool while he was smoking his pipe. Michael came back in the house and he found Kathleen at the bottom of the stairs in a pool of blood. So he called the police and I'm going to, you know, play the 911 call. And, you know, he called the police and he was just really, really distraught. And he was pacing back and forth in a state of shock. And, you know, Todd ended up coming home from the party during this time. And he looked at the body and, you know, he said, it seemed like she's gone. She's not breathing, you know, stuff like that. So he just immediately ran over to the body and just started crying. You know, he, Michael threw himself on top of the body, you know, and the amount of the blood on the staircase looked really suspicious because she did have some head injuries, but it was just a whole lot of blood. So it didn't look like a typical fall down the stairs, but the police came out and this crime scene began to be really botched up. Because remember in the John Bonet Ramsey case, how the police, everybody just started kind of walking around and they on, didn't. On the yeah, evidence area. Yeah. It was the same thing with this case. Mm, mm, and so mm. I'm going to play the 911 call and I actually want to talk about the 911 call as okay. well. Because it seems like 911 calls is our running theme lately. Because remember the Uloma Curry Walker uh, case we was talking about you know the 911 call so I want to talk about the 911 call this well 911 calls except you get the call is almost like an essential piece mm-hmm. of interaction because you really what it is is a snippet of a moment when it happened mm-hmm. whether they were guilty or not yeah whether they were part of in there it's it's you get that impact of at that moment this is what was said and done Mm-hmm. You know, like a hard recording. Yeah. You know? So we're going to dissect the 911 call. Right oh. Now. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to play it for you guys. I'm 911, where's your emergency? 18th Tennessee Street, please. What's wrong? Wait, wait a minute, actually. She's still breathing. What kind of accident? She's still in the stairs. She's still breathing. Please, please. Is she conscious? What? Is she conscious? No, she's not conscious
about the 911 call so remember the Yolanda Curry Walker episode how they actually brought someone in to like dissect the 911 call and it seems like please is like a running thing like you know what I mean when someone is like guilty I find that they say please a lot and, mm. and I'm starting to hear that a lot like to where I'm like because I've never like called 911 in a super distressful situation to where someone was like murdered but I'm wondering you know, why please? It's like, because it's like, please what? That sounds super suspicious. Because you're not going to keep saying, please, please. You're going to like say something else, right? Or what uh, do you think? I, like, I, I, like you, I have not really had a 911 stress. Well, I will say I, a girl had a seizure today. Mm-hmm. So I guess that gives me a little bit of exposure. A girl had a seizure at one of the houses that I work at. Mm-hmm. Um, and... He did call 911. Now, I will say there wasn't a lot of pleas. There wasn't, huh? There was, you know, he was responding back to her. I will say it wasn't a loved one to him. Yeah. So he wasn't panicked. Mm-hmm. So I was, so that part is, is different. Yeah. But. Because I'm just wondering, it seems like pleas is kind of like the, like it's, it's a way of deflection. Like you're deflecting it away because you don't want to say too much on the call. So you're just like, please, just send somebody, please, just please, please. I noticed it that. could be. It could be yeah. like a, a subconscious thing. Like you don't know that you're doing it like playing poker. Yeah. Type of thing. Um, yeah. You know, but he did sound panicked. And I was actually a little bit on his side. Like, how many stairs did he fall down? I'd be like, trick, I don't know. Right. Steps. One, two, three. Does it matter? Her head is busted open. Right. She fell down two steps or five steps. What the hell does it matter? <laughs> well, that's what you know. What and I will say, like sometimes these nine one one operators, they do be asking some crazy questions. It's like I know people, and I'm one of them. When I if I call nine one one for anything, I'm just gonna say nine one one. You know the the address and whatever happened, and I'm hanging up because those questions, it just. It, it bothers me, even though they're supposed to ask them, they're supposed to be keeping you calm. It's just some of the questions that they ask, it's like, you don't be in the mood for her. Right. I, I like, will say, I, I'm on I'm on that same end yeah. of, I will try and stay on the conversation, but I'm, because I'm, like, my adrenaline's going, and it's such yeah. a panicking moment, and it's such high intensity of emotion, that I'm kind of, I'm, I'll get curt, and I'm going to get an attitude, and I'm like, what is the purpose of you even asking this stupidness? Right. You know what I mean? Like, like you do, a person in that scenario needs to be kind of overly explanatory on, I'm yeah, you know, if you feel like somebody's leg is hurt, and you keep moving their leg, like, what the hell are you doing? She keeps telling right. you the leg is hurt. Oh, my God. You know, God. you start getting like that, so you should overly explain, like, um, what I'm doing right now is trying to check for pain, or I'm trying to check for this, so, for people like me. Yeah, because yeah, that step thing. You, we would have been talking about all type of different stuff with me on that nine one one call. Yeah, we had like two three minutes of just going bad on you over these steps. Yeah, she would have got cussed out for that. Cause I, I mean, I don't feel like that question was even relevant. Like, right? What? Like how I almost just... been like, I need to talk to your supervisor. Right? How many... are we talk about with these goddamn steps? I told her her head is busted open. You haven't told me what time. Nobody coming yet. Right. You haven't told me that anybody is coming yet. You over here wanted to talk about nigga, somebody's head bouncing this back and forth. What's her middle name? Ask them. Ask the right question. Ask this to make you know it'd have been bad. Yeah. You know, so 
It's like, why do you need to know that? How many steps? And what I forgot something else she asked. I was heck of one too. And I'm like, I feel like they need to have more training on these calls. Of right. What to just, ask. Kind of just, you know, but um, maybe they do have a lot. But that's, that's just that scenario, I will say, I was kind of on his side on it just being an agitating, weird kind of conversation and interaction. Um, but I guess they're trying to deflect what you're trying to do mm-hmm. and trying to calm you down. So it's. I'm not good at dissecting those calls. Yeah. But for me, he sound panicked. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. I mean, because I, I, I would have said that, too, except for, you know, with the other call, I was like, oh, and that's what you listen for. Like, as I didn't know, like, how to dissect it like that either. Because, mm-hmm. you know, but anybody can, like, sound panicked. Because remember, Uloma sounded real panicked, too, when her husband got shot. Yeah, she and did. so, yeah, like you get like an Academy Award for that. But then it's like when you start dissecting and they have, uh, you know, um, professionals that will dissect it. And then you're like, oh, they weren't supposed to say this at this point or, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's really interesting wow. how you can really dissect that. But uh, we have a case coming up where we're going to hear another 911 call. And this one I'm going to give an A plus to, but I don't want to give too much away to that case. But I was like, this girl might need an Academy Award for how she acted on her call. Man, she's gonna. You already taking notes on it. Now. Yeah, I see, it. I, see, I see a glimmer in your eye. Yeah, yeah. So the next part we're gonna do. So we are. This is gonna be a two parter case. The next part we're going to get really into the actual. You know the suspicion of it. You know what else happened because this case, and I'm telling you right now, this case takes a weird turn. Is this the end of this one? Yeah, this is, I'm going to end it for part one here. Oh, okay. I'm going to end it for part one. And, you know, I'm going to leave the anticipation up for part two. Of you know? what may have happened. Of what may have happened. With, down the stage. That's what I'm saying. This, the next part two is going to be a lot about the conspiracies of what happened. And it's going to be a lot about what I have, like, what I feel like, what you feel like, his guilt, his innocence, you know, because this, I love cases like this, but cases like this gets on my nerves too. Cause it's always that question, like. Did they do it? Did they not do it? What could have happened? But it's interesting. Right? I mean, that's what makes it the movie, man. That's what makes it the good stuff of life. Yeah, definitely. Life is the gray area. It's not the black and white. Right. Uh, well, in the meantime, please follow us on Instagram, Hot Garbage Show. Send us an email. If you have a case that you want us to cover, send it to us, hotgarbagenews at gmail.com. Follow my TikTok, Author Nisha. You know, you can check us out there. I always put snippets of what case we're going to do. And Facebook at Hot Garbage Show. And do you have anything else you want to put in? Uh, not yet, but I'm going to start. Yes. I'm going to get cool like you. <laughs> well, join us next week for part two of this case. And take care and watch your back out there.